everything we do in life is preparing for eternity. Psalm 78 says that again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Why? Because they did not remember the day of his power or his deliverance, the day that he redeemed them from his enemy. We fail to become what God has called us to become when we fail to remember what God has already done. And God has said, I will give you victory. I will give you deliverance. I will lift you up. I will make you the head and not the tail. I'll make you the first and not the last. I will cause you to be the beginning and never the end. Can somebody say amen? Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. If you have your Bibles quickly, I I have a long way to go and a short time to get there. We're going to be in Luke 16, a, a passage of Scripture that I've never taught on in this church before uh, in the last uh, four years since its inception. I've taught on lots of passages, but this is a particular one as I was working on this series, Leaving a Legacy, God immediately took me into this passage and I was trying to find out when exactly to do it and and it fell on this day. Luke 16, if you have your Bibles, if not, I'm not sure if, if, I don't think I put this one on the screen, but... Uh, it'll be a while, Mike, before you find any clips. I've got some foundation to lay. Jesus told the story to his disciples, Luke 16. If you have your Bibles open to it, let me encourage you folks, if you, haven't, if you don't bring your Bible to church, bring your Bible to church. How do you know if what I'm preaching is true? I was pastoring in Tyler, Texas, our first church, and uh, I, there was a great big church on the radio, and I'm not going to tell you which denomination. It really makes no difference. Well, actually, it does, but I, I won't say. This pastor stood up on the radio on a Sunday morning. I was preparing for church, and I was listening to the Sunday morning broadcast, and he stood up just as bold as ever and said, you don't need to bring your Bible to church because you don't understand what it says anyway. It's my job to tell you what it says. I didn't listen to that program anymore. If a preacher ever tells you that, run. I don't care what it says across the pulpit if it doesn't line up with these pages. Are you okay? Luke 16, Jesus told the story to his disciples. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. said there was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs And one day a report came to the manager that he was wasting the employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, this is what I hear about you. Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. Good Monday morning. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have strength to dig ditches. I'm too proud to beg. Oh, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty. He had this great thought come to him. I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends when I get fired. So he invited every person that owed money to the employer to discuss the situation. He told one, how much do you owe? And he said, oh, 800 gallons of olive oil. And the manager said, take the bill and cut it to 400 Another man, he asked, how much do you owe? And he said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. And he said, take it and cut it to to 800 bushels. 
Now we sit back and say this is a real vile thing, but all that was happening was this, this guy was charging interest and fees that were not supposed to be charged in the first place. So all the bill was getting back to us what was rightfully due in the first. Are you with me? The rich man then said, I admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is, and it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. And he said, here's the lesson. Use your unworldly or your, your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large things. But if you're dishonest in little things, you'll be dishonest when you have greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy in the worldly wealth, who will trust you with riches in heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, then how shall you be trusted with your own things? No one can serve two masters, for you will be hate one and you will love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. But that doesn't mean, I'm dropping down to the 17th verse, but that doesn't mean that the law has lost its force. It's easier for heaven and earth to disappear than the smallest point of God's law to be overturned. Does this mic sound kind of boomy to you? Does it sound okay? Sounds okay? Let me, let me expound upon this very interesting passage. This, if I can put it in a nutshell, the very simple meaning of this passage is be prepared for the time when you will be asked to give account of your life. And in that preparation... It comes with a decision of whether or not you have served others well. It's not, a call, it's not because of salvation, because of works. It is rather doing the right works because we are saved. We're saved by grace, folks. We're saved by everything that he has done. But there's something that God says that you and I must do after we get saved, and that's live for him. And that's obey him, and that's be submissive and subjected to him. Can you say amen? amen? Now, the oddity in this, this passage represents God is the owner, and you and I represent the steward, the unjust manager. The interesting thing is that, that God commended or the, man, the owner commended the unjust steward because of his shrewdness, because of the fact that he knew how to live life in this world. You say, well, pastor, that doesn't make much sense. Let me finish. He knew how to prepare for the day of reckoning. He was going to get fired. And so he was setting himself up for the journey. Are you with me this morning? But look at the other side of the coin. The Lord chided the children of God, the children of the light, if you will, because they don't make eternal preparations. Look back at our text. He says, if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. If you're dishonest in little, you'll be dishonest in much. No one can serve two masters. What God is very simply laying out here is there is a day of reckoning and that day of reckoning is going to be met with the affairs of life that we've lived in this world, not before man, but before God. Is somebody with me today? This is why he says in the ninth verse, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth so when it's gone, you may be welcomed into eternal homes. What does that mean? Dishonest health. He just said it already. You can't serve mammon. Anything of this world, the Bible says, is dishonest. The world system is very humanly based. It's very materially based. It is very earthly based. But everything of eternal 
Everything of heaven is honest. Am I making sense this morning? Now he goes on and he makes an interesting statement. He says, in doing this, they will welcome you into eternal homes. It's not talking about eternity as far as heaven. It's talking about the fact of sustenance on this earth when everything he knows is gone. In Matthew chapter 25, the scripture says, the master will say to those on his right hand, come, you have been blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the earth. Why did he say come? For you have obtained this. He said, because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. When I was sick and in prison, you visited visited me. He said, when you've done it, Unto me, for all of these, you've done it for eternal preparation. Today's message is titled, Leaving a Legacy, Preparing for Eternity. If I can sum up this whole passage in one simple line, it goes this. The point is that the treasures we have in heaven are all set because of what we do with the treasures we have on earth. The Bible teaches that we must continually be reaching towards the lost. It is not an option. If you are a child of God, your job and mine is to continually be reaching towards the lost. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. Flagstaff is our Jerusalem. When Jesus said he came to seek and to save those that are lost, if we are his children, should we not be doing the same? If there's one thing that I have learned over the years is the greatest church Let me turn the church into a blazing fire. The greatest fire, the greatest blaze will die unless new wood is continually added to it. Now, you notice I use the term new wood. I've been to Africa and many parts of the world multiple times over. And when you go there in Africa, I'll just use that for an example, they will be on the street on the the sides of the, 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 the trails and the streets and stuff selling bags of charcoal. And they sell this for the fire starting, for the beginning. But it is worn. It will last only a moment. When God talks about church growth, he does not talk about building a building or transferring people from one church to another. He talks about reaching the lost. Now, before somebody throws stones at me, people change churches. Happens all the time. Not a problem. As long as there wasn't a problem changing churches. You see, I believe that if we're going to do it right, we have to do it right. We have to leave right to enter right. Is that not what we're talking about in this kingdom? So many times we want to leave wrong and just let it go under the rug. I have talked to many people over the years that have come from different churches and I sit down with them and I ask them, how did things go? What happened? And generally I'll wind up talking to the pastor of the church they left. You say, pastor, why do you do that? Because I'm concerned about eternity. Am I making any sense? I have a job to prepare people's lives for eternity. And if my wife here has an issue with something and she leaves it and doesn't deal with it, she has a problem now with eternity. Am I making sense? 
we have to always be preparing for that day. That God says, what did you do with my son? And what did you do with your life in my son? Am I making sense at all this morning? I got three amen, so it must not be hidden too well. But that's okay. We'll get there as soon as we do. Our job as a church is to continually reach new people. Everybody kind of bend your head around to the right, all the way to the back wall of the church. There's a track rack on that back wall. has a black sign above it. Talks about reaching the lost. Talks about doing that. People say, well, I'm not an evangelist. Well, we have covert evangelism in this church. You can do, you can do uh, run-bys. Or what do they call those things when you just kind of, what is it? Drive-bys, yeah. You can, you can drive by the bathroom and drop a track just as long as it doesn't go in something. You can drive by your, your restaurant table when you're doing lunch and, and you're paying the bill. You can put a track on the table. Only one caveat. If you're not going to tip, don't leave the track. I don't want them coming back on all those victorious life Christians. Those guys are cheap. You need to take some of those tracks with you. If you can't witness for Christ, let the track witness for you. Go out and cause some new wood to be added to the fire. Somebody that doesn't know. We, we have been on the radio since the day this church is open. We're on Big Talker Radio. We're on, uh, we're on, on um, Radio Shine. And as of this weekend, we're on Calf Radio. They, they say that Calf Radio, I tried to get on Calf Radio when we first started, but the owners wouldn't deal with me. I'm a fun one to deal with when it comes to negotiations, I can tell you. And so now they gave us, it's, it's just incredible. Uh, and just a blessing. So we're going to be on all those stations you say, Pastor, are you going to stay on all of them? Actually, no. We're going to quit the Christian station. I'm not trying to reach Christians. Oh, come on, church. We're not trying to reach Christians. We're trying to reach the lost. Does that kind of make you a little uncomfortable? Does it stretch you a little bit? Let, let me... Let me tell you something about the church. The church that is not reaching out is the church that is only reaching in. And too many churches, all they care about is those that are in the church. And granted, we need to be, but if we stop reaching out, we stop doing what the Lord had called us to do. Too many in the church being too comfortable that they forget where they've been. And if we ever forget where we've been, we'll never get where we're going. God wants to begin to stretch us. And I believe that 2014 is a year of the supernatural blessing and the supernatural stretching of God for his people. Folks, I don't know if you're looking around, but the, the way it looks to me, that eastern sky could split at any moment. Can somebody say amen? But God created you and I, and I like to look at it this way, he kind of created us a little bit like a rubber band made to stretch. When a rubber band is not being stretched, it's small, it's relaxed. And as long as it remains in that shape, this little shape up here, it is not doing what it was created to do. Look at me, folks. You and I are not created to relax. We were not created to just stay small. You and I, when we begin to be stretched, we begin to become enlarged, then we become to, then we start to be dynamic 
intense for all that God created us to be. You know what I think? I think the kingdom of God needs more rubber bands. How many be a rubber band for God today? Let me jump into your notes really quick. Number one, we can only do as God has called as we do as God has called. Now, I know it sounds like one of those little funny play on words, but think about it for a second. We can only do as God has called as we do as God has called. Pastor, what does that mean? Very simply, the church fails to do what God has called to do because the church fails to do what God has called to do. And as to prepare for eternity, everything we do in life is preparing for eternity. Psalm 78 says that again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Why? Because they did not remember the day of his power or his deliverance, the day that he redeemed them from his enemy. We fail to become what God has called us to become when we fail to remember what God has already done. And God has said, I I will give you victory. I will give you deliverance. I will lift you up. I will make you the head and not the tail. I'll make you the first and not the last. I will cause you to be the beginning and never the end. Can somebody say amen? amen. See, we forget that and then we're just kind of trudging along. Oh, okay, God, I don't know what's going on. And God said, sure, you know what's going on. I'm going on. People talk to me and here at the church, I kind of get a chuckle out of it nowadays. But they'll say, Pastor, what's up? And I'll say, Jesus. Or they'll walk up to me and say, Pastor, hi. I said, usually. I, folks, I haven't been doing, I've been doing this 40 years or so. So I haven't been doing long enough to not be high anymore. I'm still excited about the things of God. I said, I'm still excited about the things of God. And the question that I have to ask, are you? See, in our lives, we have to be stretched. The children of Israel knew what God wanted them to do, but they chose rather to do what they wanted to do. This is why the church has such difficulty in doing what God has called her to do. We are more committed to doing what we want to do. The Lord set standards in his word that enables his people to take care of all the maladies of this world if we would. We usually don't have that victory. Why? Because more times than not, we give God what's left of our life instead of what's right of our life. We don't do things for God because we're too tired, we're too busy, we're too frustrated, we're too anxious, we're too just fill in the blank. When God says, why? I've already done it all for you. I've made a way where there seems to be no way. I've already set eternity in place for you. Do you think maybe it's because we got our eyes focused on the wrong things that we have all these other maladies happening? Am I making any sense today? Now, I'm going to do something because I'm talking about preparing for eternity. I'm going to do something that's going to cause you to love me more than ever. I'm going to spend the next few moments talking about you and your money. Oh, I'm going to. I'm going to. I want to settle in for a second. I say your money tongue-in-cheek because it isn't. But let me, let me talk about the tithe. Do you know why the tithe was established? Now, I know people say, well, you know, it was done in the law and, and God did it to, to take care of the, of the temple and, and, you know, all that's been done away with. What have you been smoking? Because none of it's been done away with and no, it was not established for that. The tithe was established long before there ever was a temple, there ever was a law, there ever was anything. Yet, the pulpit here, because too many preachers are afraid to touch on this, oh golly, I think we're going to get quiet in this house, that most of God's people are living impoverished, frustrated, 
and anxious because they don't understand the victory is right at the tip of their fingers. I got three amens. Could I get three more, please? Good. Let me talk to you about Moses. Do you know when Moses woke up that day and he saw the burning bush and God said, I'm going to cause you to be the deliverer of my people? Do you know that Moses did not realize that he was going to lead three million people out of Egypt that day? Do you realize that he did not realize that he was going to have to make sure they had food and water and social needs met that day? Do you realize that Moses had no clue it was going to cost him what it cost him to deliver God's people? I think he might have said, God, you got somebody else for this task? I'm not prepared. I was reading the stats in the army. Somebody had broke this down and said, do you realize to feed that many people takes 1,500 tons of food each day, which would be brought in on the equivalent of two railway cars over a mile long. Not only that, it would take 4,000 tons of firewood to prepare the food that they would cook. And yes, they would need water to the tune of 11 million gallons a day. How did Moses do this? Think about it for a second. Probably beyond that, the greatest logistical problem is every day they camped, do you realize they needed a piece of land half the size, two-thirds the size of Rhode Island? Approximately 750 square miles? That's what it took to camp three million people every single day. And let's talk about the Red Sea. You talk about a logistical nightmare. Moses is standing at the Red Sea, and first off, he can't figure out how we're going to get across this thing. Second off, God says, okay, well, I'm going to do this. And Moses said, okay. So he stands up there. How many have all seen the Ten Commandments? He stands up there, puts a stick out. Do I look like Charlton? He puts the stick out there, and the Red Sea opens up. Oh, such a beautiful picture. This little little gulf opens up and the people walk across and it's all nice. Folks, we're not talking about a hand. We're talking about three million people. If they walked across like they did in the Ten Commandments, it would have taken them almost two months to get three million people across that gulf. If you do a study on this, to get three million people across the Red Sea in one night because the Bible said the next morning Pharaoh's chariots were coming across the Red Sea. In one night, three million people, these people had to parade across this gulf at a 1,000 people wide in order to get through it in one night's time. Do you think Moses had this all figured out when he was in Egypt? I don't think so. Or let me put a little slang to it. I don't think so. But Moses did something that most of us failed to do. That was a pretty insurmountable, wasn't it? How many think our rent might not be that insurmountable? How many think our car payment might not be that insurmountable? How many think our food bill might not be that? You see, Moses, he believed God that God would take care of these things. The question I want to ask before I move on here is if God did this for Moses, why do we not think that God will do it for us? Kind of makes the size of our issues a little small, doesn't it? God set up a standard in his word that if we would just follow all the maladies of life would come to play in God's hands. But here's what happens. Sadly, most are convinced to trust the world system more than the plan of God so that when opportunities arise in the church to make a difference in the world, There is no difference the church can make. Why? Because the church does not have the material, the method, the money, or the men to do the job. Why? Because we're all too busy. Oh, come on. Come on with me, church. I know this is stepping on some toes. That's okay. Put double socks on. It won't hurt as bad. Think about it for a second. People, when this doesn't happen, they get mad at the church. 
I know this surprises you, but I've had people get mad at me when they've asked me for money and I don't give it to them. I didn't think you would, but I thought I'd throw it out there. They get mad at the church expecting the church to take care of their house when they don't even take care of God's house. Say, Pastor, can you make it simple? Sure. We've got lots of ministries in this church that need ministers. But every time Suzanne asks for children's ministers or Ryan asks for children's minister or we ask for cleaning ministers or we ask for ushers ministers or we ask for greeters ministers, how many of you leaders can shout a hearty amen? It's like pulling teeth. That wasn't a hearty amen, but... Why, I'm pastor, you don't understand. I don't come to church for that reason. Put that rubber band back up on the picture, would you? That's what we want to come to church to look like, this big, fat, lazy rubber band. Oh, did I say that across the pulpit? Libby, you're looking at me with those looks. Pastor, only you could say these things. We're looking like, I mean, God, I wish I had a picture of a stretched out rubber band. I didn't put one up there, though. We wonder why things aren't happening right at our house when we're not doing right at God's house. Oh, Pastor, you can't talk like that to us. Why? Well, because my last church didn't talk. Maybe that's why you're not at that church. God wanted to bring you here so he could get through. Did you turn me off just then? You didn't. Okay. Think about it for a second. Why? Why is it a problem for a pastor to talk that way? Why is it a problem that when there's areas to be taken care of in the church, in the city, in the community, or in the world, the church is not able to do it? Have we become that unjust steward? And we forget that there is a day of account. I read a true story about a church whose treasurer had resigned. The church asked the manager of a local grain elevator if they would, if he would take his pl- the place. The man that ran the elevator was a very prominent person in the church, and he said, "I will under two conditions." Listen to what he said. First, no report is going to be required at all the first year. Second, that no one asks any questions during that first year. Oh, that's sacrilege right there. My goodness, for a church to not disclose its financials, which we're going to do at the end of service today. Today is our state of the church address. So if you want to know what's happening at Victoria's Life, hang around afterwards. And uh, you can know anything you want to know. You can ask any question you want to ask. I'm sorry? Oh, the slide for the the green elevator. Thank you for taking that down. But listen to me. Listen to me. The man goes on. He said, everyone was very anxious about the demands, but because they trusted him so much, they agreed. After all, almost everybody in the church did business with the green elevator. At the end of the year, the treasurer finally presented his report. He announced that the church that had $25,000 in debt has been completely paid. The minister's salary was increased. I, I had to leave that one in there. That was, that was pretty cool. I thought that was really cool. Missions gifts dramatically increased. A large balance remained in the bank. And the people said, how is this possible? And the treasurer answered, well, most of you bring your grain to my elevator. And as we did business, I simply held back 10% on your behalf and gave it to the church in your name. You never even missed it. Oh, if I could get all the companies in town that you all work for just to do payroll deduction for your tithe. The Mormons do it. Did you know if you're a Mormon working for a Mormon company, they do payroll deduction for your tithe? Your tithe? Out of sight, out of mind, you don't have a problem with it. 
It's amazing how well we give what we don't know we have. It's when we have it that we think we can't give it. Am I doing okay this morning? You see, the very first thing in preparing for eternity is realizing that we can only do as God has called as we do as God has called. The second thing that I want to look at really quick this morning is God can if we will. And God does as we do. Let me throw this little caveat in there. Every single part of God's provision is contingent upon our obedience. I've shared this many times in our church. There's only two things in creation, in the world, in eternity, past, that God ever did before we obeyed. Two things he did first. One was creation. The other was Calvary. Everything else since creation to Calvary was based on obedience. Everything from Calvary to now is based on obedience. We wonder sometimes why the maladies of life happen that happen in our lives. On Wednesday night, I'm doing a series on, on uh, living in or under the blessings of God. And there's a world of difference. You can live under the blessings of God and not even do what God says. Why? Because God honors his word. If you give to the poor, God said, I'm going to give back to you. God says, if you do this, I'm going to do that. That's just God's word. We can be under God's blessing and not even be living for God. But if you want to be in the blessings of God, that takes commitment. That takes obedience. That takes discipline of life. We're having a pretty good time on Wednesday nights, aren't we, folks? To leave a legacy the last for eternity, we must begin to let God be the one in control of our lives and trust him to do what he said we would, that we are to do. This is how we send it ahead. This is how we send it into eternal habitations. How do we do this? We simply do the things that God has outlined in his word that are intended to help us through the maladies of life. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. If you want favor with both God and man. Now look at me for a second. If I was reading a passage of scripture and it started out with those words, how many think that should grab our attention? I want favor with God. And I'd like favor with man. If you want favor with both God and man and a reputation for good judgment and common sense, whoa, how many has that doubly got your attention? Then look what it says next. I left it in your notes, so read it with me, would you? Then trust in the Lord completely and never trust yourself. How many know that's the whole sermon right there? Trust in the Lord completely. Don't ever trust yourself. In everything you do, underline this in your notes. I didn't do it for you, so underline it. Put God first. You see, God said in plan everything we need to take care of the issues we deal with in life. And God says, trust me and don't trust you. And put me first, everything, and I will make sure you have success. Folks, that's worth the price of admission. Oh, what are you talking about? The next verse. You see, if we have a problem with that, then we have this next line that we have to deal with. Don't be conceited thinking you're smart enough. Oh, I'm sorry, it says don't be conceited, sure of your own wisdom. It sounds like thinking you're smart enough to me, doesn't it? Instead, trust, reverence the Lord, turn your back on evil. When you do that, then you will be, underline this in your note, given renewed health and vitality. Oh, and then we come back to the tithing part. Honor God by giving him the first part of all. Underline that, circle it, highlight it. If it ticks you off, put a big cross through it. All your income. 
and then God said, I'll fill the barns. Folks, it sounds like a pretty unfair trade, doesn't it? Man, I love being up here. I can watch the facial expressions across this thing. Man, some of you look like you've been sucking on lemons. I mean, he's got this look on your face. Who's he think he is? You're turning this up every time, aren't you, Victor? I want to make sure it gets, okay. How are we doing so far, folks? He said, I want to fill your barns, but I can't fill your barns if you don't trust me with the stuff you have. There's a well-known philanthropist that, that continually gave masses away. A Christian man asked him and says, how do you always give so much away? He said, well, I suppose it's like this. I keep shoveling up to God and God keeps shoveling back and God's shovel's a bit bigger than mine. I've heard people tell me over the years, Pastor, I can't afford to give. My response every single time is you cannot afford not to give. You have a problem with finances. You have a problem with debt. You have a problem with an overbearing uh, uh, sense of weight on your shoulders. The Bible teaches you can give your way out of it. Don't get nervous. I'm not going to take a second offering today. You can. Why? Has what you had took care of what you needed so far? So why are you keeping it? Why don't you give it to the one that said, if you'll give it to me, I'll give it back. Press down, shaken together, and running over. I love the passage in, in 2 Corinthians it's on the screen, but you can turn with me in your scripture. It says, I want you to know, dear brothers, that the kindness of God is shown through the churches in Macedonia. He said they were going through great troubles. They were very poor. It sounds to me like somebody that could not afford to give. But look what he says. But they are also filled with abundant joy. They loved God more than anything else. And listen what had happened. He said, Their joy was overflowed in rich generosity. I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And then look at this. They did it of their own free will. Their first action that accomplished this was they gave themselves first to the Lord, just like God wanted them to do. And then it goes down into the end of the verse and said, give in proportion to what you have. This is what's acceptable. Don't give according to what you don't have. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? So many of us, when we're doing things for God, and I don't care if it's money, I don't care if it's time, I don't care if it's talents, I don't care if it's ability, so many of us say, okay, God, I'll give you this. Wait, wait a minute, i got to check my calendar. I can't give it to you. I'm busy that day. God, I, I, can, I, can, give these, I can give this money to you. Oh, man. That's right. I, I got a set of tires. I got to buy some tires. Sorry, God, I can't do it. Well, God, I can. I, I think you'll get the picture, right? This is why the scripture says, give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Well, I don't have tires. Did you walk to church today? You have tires on that car. Can I tell you some true stories that's happened in your pastor's life? I have been driving down the road and made a stupid mistake. I know that surprises y'all. The driving down the road or the stupid mistake, which, okay. I've driven down the road and made, you know, and forgot to look at my gas tank. And had a long way to the next gas station. Dave, have you been there? There? Okay. Ann, have you ever? I, I know it's just me. What, Mark? Yeah? Maybe? Okay. And I I did one of those 
radical Christian things. I laid hands on my gas tank. Oh, sorry. I really did. I said, God, you know where I'm at. You know where I've been. And God, you know where I got to go. And not once, but on a few occasions, I watched my gas tank fill in front of my eyes. God said, I'll take care of what you don't have. Don't worry about it. Give me what you do have. I've had bad tires and walked out and found new tires. How does that work? Well, let's see, we have a God that made everything out of nothing. I think he can make tires. You say, I just can't believe that. That's your problem. Conceited, trusting ourselves. Now, folks, I'm not telling you to do this kind of stuff. I would not recommend, especially if your wife's next to you and she sees the gas tank is low. But what I am encouraging you is to give God until they want you to stop giving. Oh, that will never happen. Look at Exodus chapter 36. The Bible says they were coming to do the things of God. They were coming to build Israel. They were coming to do all the different things. And the Bible says in Exodus 36, verses 5 and 6, the people gave so much that Moses had to command them to stop giving. Too many of us give from what we don't have. Many years ago, there was a a very godly businessman, very generous, and a charitable organization approached him for a donation, but they didn't expect much because he had just sustained a heavy loss in the wreck of many of his ships. But to the amazement of the charity, he gave 10 times more than he had given before. And when they asked how he could give such a huge donation in light of the difficulties, this is what the man's response was. Listen, listen, listen to this. He said, it's true. I have sustained heavy loss by the vessels that have been wrecked. But this is the very reason I give you so much. I must make better use than ever of my stewardship. Lest I lose everything. See, this was a man that understood It's not what I don't have, it's what I do have that I have to make count. If we want God to do what he said, we must do what he said. Everything we do is not because God commanded us to do it. We do it because, folks, in 1 John 4, he said he loved us first. I found over the years in pastoring God's people, shepherding God's people, I've watched so many struggles that people go through. In this church, and I want you to hear this, I never look at the ties of our church. I couldn't tell you what 99% of you give or if you give, unless you're in leadership. If you're in leadership, the church, biblical principle, the leader has to tithe or it will hurt the whole. And I can give you scripture after scripture, but I don't have time. I'm already over my allotted time. How many will give me a little bit more time this morning? Good. Thank you. You say, Pastor, never with this exception. When I see you going through struggles, continual struggles, I'll ask my wife, I'll ask the, the, the folks to tell me, are they tithing? And if you're not, I will generally talk to you and tell you the biggest problem you have is you're still on the throne of your life. Say, Pastor, it's not that simple. This book says it is. It has nothing to do with what you don't have. It has to do with what you do have. That's why Jesus commended the widow woman with the two mites. And he just basically overlooked all the rich people. He said they gave out of their abundance. She gave her life. Look at me, church. He's looking for your life. He's looking 
for my life. And if I can't give that, then does anything else really matter? See, we're trying so much to obtain what God has without doing what God said. Look at Luke chapter 6. And for sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole thing. He said, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Look at this. It will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more, running over and poured back into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get. Is somebody with me today? And Jesus goes on and gives an illustration. Can a blind man lead the blind without them both falling into the ditch? He says students can't be greater than teachers. If the church doesn't advocate God's provision for his promises, how will the students ever learn any better? But a student that is fully trained can actually become like the teacher. A good fruit tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. And then he goes down in a few verses, and he says a good person produces good things. Look at this, from the good treasure of a good heart. And then he says this hard statement, why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? And then he goes into the story about the man who builds his house on a rock and the man that builds his house on the sand. The man that builds his house on the rock is the man that builds his house on what God says. The one that builds his house on the sand is the one that builds his house on what he wants. The same storm hits, but only the one that based his life on Christ and is doing what the Lord said weathers the storm. Somebody say amen this morning. Let me try to wrap this up. We must live out God's word if God's word will outlive us. Doing what God said will enable us to do what God said. I always wonder why pastors or leaders are afraid or even intimidated to speak about the only subject in God's word that God says you can challenge me in. Why? Why is it when we know we're supposed to be stewards, the minute a preacher starts preaching about it, we get all irritated? Are you with me? The problem that we have is ever since the establishment of the new covenant, we have tried to excuse and escape the fact that we still have responsibility before God. Well, it's all under grace. You're right. He did it all. And now he said, do all I did. What is that, Pastor? He said, I gave my life. Did you? See, God said, put me first in all things. What does that mean? Your family doesn't come before God. Your life doesn't come before God. Your possessions do not come before God. Your increase does not come before God. Your tithe does not come before. Everything God said, put me first. As much as we would like to change that, we would have to change God's word. The Bible says he is the God that does not, has not, and will not change. This is our biggest problem. We want to be in control, which goes all the way back to Genesis in a garden where there was a little serpent running around saying, if you follow me, you can be your own God. Doesn't work that way, does it? Giving and tithing is not according to how we think it should be done. It's not ours to decide. It is God's. Always has been, always will be. If we want God's promise, then we have to be obedient and trust. 
Let me ask you a question. How many here have ever gone to a doctor for an annual checkup? What's that doctor do? He pokes and he prods and he says, does this hurt? How about this? The minute you cry out in pain, one of two things have happened. Either the doctor pushed too hard or more likely there is something wrong and the doctor will say, we better do some more tests. It's not supposed to hurt there. So it is when your pastor preaches on finances. If it hurts, if it's irritating, I think we need to do something about that. Because either I have pushed too hard or more likely there's something wrong in the area of your finances. In a case that is the case, I will say, you need the great physician because it's not supposed to hurt there. Let me close with a true story. A pastor was taking an offering in the church. I've had people tell me over the years, say, Pastor, that's all you want is our money. And I usually respond, you're correct. Because that's the only way that I know God truly has your life. Now, I know some of you might take that and say, well, that's that's wrong. When you look at the word of God, the Bible says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. The pastor took an offering and made an appeal to the church for a great and worthy cause, and a certain woman that was a member of the church came up and handed him a check for $50, asking him if her gift was satisfactory. And the pastor simply responded, if it represents you. After a moment of soul searching, the woman grabbed the check and said, I'll return. She left with it a day or two later. She came back and she gave the pastor a check for $5,000 and said, Pastor, is the gift satisfactory? And the pastor gave the same answer as before. If it represents you, And as before, the truth was driven deeply. After a few moments of hesitation, she took the check back, came back the next week later with a check for $50,000, placed it in the pastor's hand, and she said, after earnest and prayerful thought, I've come to the conclusion that this gift represents me, and I am very happy to give it. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says, on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money, listen, in keeping with his income. That I don't have to collect it when I get there. People say, well, that shows right there. There's no tithing. No, Paul said, I got other things to do. The tithing should be done before I even arrive. That part should be done in keeping with your, as you have increased. Oh, I didn't think tithing was in the New Testament. It's all over the New Testament. It wasn't there because we didn't look for it. He said you should lay aside, and what was the measurement? In keeping with your income. Or as the original language says, as God has prospered you. We wonder why Things aren't going the way they should in our life. Folks, it all starts with the heart. And with the heart starts the treasure. Where are you putting your value? Where are you putting your commitment? Lee Iacocca, who turned Chrysler around back in the 70s, was asked, why did he set aside $750 million to launch off what was called the caravan. And he said, I had to. If you eat the seed corn, you have no future. If you spend what God said is his and you don't do what God says to do, you effectively are cutting off his ability to prepare for your future. Our scripture says, every thing we do is to prepare for eternity John 12 says except a seed fall to the ground 
it cannot bring forth fruit. Except that seed is given away, it cannot produce what God called it to do. If you and I don't do with what God said to do, we can't do what God said to do. And he can't do what he has promised to do. Why? Because God says you've got to do my part first in all things. If we're not preparing for eternity, we have no legacy. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.